Um, I'm ending my series today, and then I'm going to start another series on relationships. See, y'all love relationship series, but I love theological series where you get to use your brain and intellectually get ready to defend your faith because there is a onslaught that's coming. It's already here, but it's coming against the local church. If you missed last week, please go check it out. It was an incredible time with a young lady called Hope Harris, who used to be um, somebody that represented uh, the LGBTQ community, and uh, God transformed their life for the glory of God. So you want to get that out. Anyways, uh, let's, let's, let me give you a quick review, then we'll read some, some scriptures, then we'll get to work. Um, the review is there are three words I've taught you for the last four, five weeks. If you don't know these three words, then we're going to repeat last week's sermon, okay? So I need you to tell me what these three words are. Everybody together, whatever campus, you need to shout it out. Here we go. There are three words I've been teaching you that is happening behind the scenes of our culture in every church across America. Please tell me those three words. First word is? Y'all all right. Y'all all right. Come on, one family. Y'all all right. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. So the first word is? construction. Second word is? And third word is? All right, if you're new, you don't know these three words, I'm going to explain this in a minute. But uh, one more time for those who are new who just got the words, everybody now, if the person beside you don't say, say, what's wrong with you? Come on, we're going to say. Here we go. Three words that's, that's lurking behind the scenes. It's happening in every teenager's life. It's happening in every adult's life. It's happening in anybody get, gets hurt. It's happening in their lives when they doubt God. It's happening when, they, when God didn't come through for them. It's happening. Three words. Tell me what they are again. Number one, construction. Number two, deacon. Number three, reconstruction. If you're just joining us, let me give you a quick review. All I'm trying to suggest is when your parents taught you, if you grew up in church, what's been happening to you is you've been slowly, your parents have been trying to help you build a worldview. How do you look at the world? What lens are you going to look at the world through? As you go through that process, they've been teaching you the things of the faith. They've been teaching you the principles of and the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you grew up in church, that is. So they've tried to construct something for you, and then one million students every year walk away from the faith. Here's why. Because their parents taught them something, and then as they went through life, uh, deconstruction began to take place. So they might have lost a loved one. And they wondered, how in the world could a good God take their loved one so early? Or they might have been hurt from somebody in the church. And so they'd be like, why would the people that's supposed to look like Jesus treat me so poorly? So they're just like... I might not need to have anything to do with God anymore. And then they perhaps have been single for so long, and they're mad that their faith does not, their faith and their God has not yet bought them a spouse, and so they're mad at God because of that. So they're like, well, I don't know. Maybe this Christian thing is not for me, because I've been doing all the right things, and I'm not being blessed, so maybe it's not for me. Or something else happened, or, or somewhere they decided that, uh, you know what, I'm not going to live God's truth. I'm going to live my own truth, and my own truth says I don't need God. Or you decide, you know, I like Jesus, but I I want to be a little more spiritual. So I don't need Jesus. I don't need a church. I just need to be spiritual. And before you know it, your faith starts to get deconstructed and everything that they taught you early on in life begins to be crumbled all the way down. 
That's called deconstruction. When that happens in your life, that's what's happening. And then last week we talked a little bit about how do you begin the process of reconstruction. When, when your faith has been shaken, first, of all, first thought we had last week was you can't do it alone. You got to do it in community. What the enemy wants you to do is to do this thing alone. And we reminded you, you can't do it alone. You've got to do it in community. So there's a group of people walking through this thing together as you reconstruct your faith. So now today, I want to conclude this series by talking about um, now how do, you, how do you live in a world, a wicked world, where it does not change you, but you change it. How do you do that? How do you, how do you live in a world that don't think like you, look like you, act like you, know your kids, and, and, and you don't want it to change you, but you get to be the change agent through the Holy Spirit for it. That's the challenge we have today. And so if you don't mind, this is not about you. Come back, come back next week and the week after. It'll be all about you and what you feel and how you should look for love and all that. that, 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 that's, that's, that that's, for, uh, that's for the next couple of weeks. Today. We're trying to get to your mind, and we're trying to get to your heart so that you are prepared to give a defense of what you believe. Today, I want to show you something that I think is going to, it rocked my world, and hopefully it will rock yours. Ladies and gentlemen, this is huge. Um, Let me give you a little bit of stats here. On March 11th, 2011, at 2.46 in the morning, an earthquake struck 45 miles northeast of Japan. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, less than an hour later, the first, several, uh, the first of several tsunami waves hit the Japan coastline. It reached heights of 128 feet. It traveled inland six miles. It flooded 217 square miles. It killed 16,000 people. It destroyed 120 buildings and seven. 126 of them were damaged, and it, it had an economic cost of $235 billion, making it the, costly, the most costliest natural disaster in world history. Ladies and gentlemen, today I want to talk to you about not the tsunami, but the earthquake before the tsunami. I want to talk to you about four earthquakes in our culture that are currently rumbling. And ladies and gentlemen, there is a tsunami coming, but the warning sign has just gone off. Now, you can't see the earthquake, but you're going to see the tsunami. The earthquake happens under the, under the ocean. It, 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 it rumbles under the ocean, and then a massive giant wave is coming. And it has one job, to destroy Christianity as we know it. And you can sit back in your little fancy houses, in your little media rooms, and in your little fancy cars, and pretend as if you're safe. But I want to peel it back so you can see these four earthquakes that are about to shatter America like you know it. It's already happening, but it's coming. And my job today is to let you see it clearly so that you can have language to use with your kids and your grandkids to talk about the issues before somebody else disciples your kid, you can disciple them yourself. Before the bottom drops out of your life, you can understand what the world is trying to do so that you can be prepared in season and out of season to give a defense for what you believe and why.
Why do you believe it? One million students walk away every single year. If that doesn't bother you, it doesn't rip your heart out. It's either because you don't have kids no more and you don't care. Or if you, see young, if you have teenagers right now, you're watching it happen slowly. And my job is to create an environment so you can have those conversations. Why don't you stand with me? Let's read the word of the Lord, please, if you don't mind. Um, we're going to look at uh, Acts chapter 17. Let's start at around about verse number 22. And then let's read about four verses and see what Paul has to say. No, go back up some more. Start at about 18. Go to verse 18. Let's start about verse 18. Yeah, here we go. Um, so Paul is going to write... It's an amazing passage you should read sometime. Paul is, is, is talking to the elites of his day. It's on Mars Hill. It's the intellectual center of the entire world. It's where ideas and thoughts are, are, are shaped and then influences the whole world. And we're still living based on the thoughts of, of Socrates and, and Plato. And, and we're still living based on, which all originated from Athens, which is where Paul is going to give a gospel presentation in a wicked world where it's not going to impact him. He is going to impact it. But he does it in such a masterful way that I had to show you this passage today before we end this series. So let's figure it out. Go back to verse 17. Go back to verse 17. Let's start there. 17. All right, here we go. Everybody, let's read together. So he was in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace where every day with those who happen to be present. Watch what he does. He has a strategy. Wherever he goes, he goes first to the, to the synagogue and then he goes to the marketplace. He goes first to the churches and then he goes to the business leaders. He goes first to the people who say they love Jesus but don't and then he goes secondly to the people in the marketplace or in the institutions of great thought and he challenges them on both fronts. Let me ask you a question. Are you ready to influence people in churches and people of the highest intellectual mindsets? Or can, or can your Jesus only impact people who are not that smart? Can you only defend Jesus to people who have a second grade, third grade education? Or can you intellectually argue and discuss and have incredible discussions with people who have graduated from the highest institutions around? Because if you can't, God's asking you to get ready to give a defense in both places if you're a child of God. The problem is most people only come to church for what you can get. And you don't realize that God is asking you. He didn't just save you to take you up to heaven. He's asking you to give a defense wherever you go. Whatever job you're on, you're supposed to be able to represent Jesus right where you are. And too many churches can't, too many Christians can't do that. Because all they know is John 3.16. No wonder when somebody comes to you and says, hey, did you know that Jesus was black? You'd be like, was he really? And when somebody comes to you and says, do you know that all they're trying to do is oppress you? You say, hmm, that's what they're doing, huh? Maybe I need to, maybe I don't need to follow Jesus anymore. And they bring up four thoughts and you're gone. That's because you're not deeply rooted in the word of God. Which is why this kind of series you don't like sometimes. It's not, you know, it's not affecting me where I'm feeling it. That's because sometimes it ain't about what you're feeling. And, if, and I would hope that more people will preach what you're not feeling. 
so that we can sustainably be rooted so when the winds and the hurricanes show up, we don't just get but we stand up and we, every wind and every thought that comes across, we just move with the wind, but our roots are too deep for you to just come and uproot me like that. Watch the text. Watch the text. It gets better. Next verse. Verse 18. Here's what it says. So, come on. There we go. And also, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what? Is Stop right there. What does it mean by idle babble? Here's how they disrespected Paul. They said, hey, hey idle babble is, is, is like a bird that just comes here, picks a, picks a seed up, comes over here, picks a seed up, comes over here, picks a seed up, but he's not smart enough to put the thoughts together. He just hears an idea and run with it. They're disrespecting Paul and saying, you're really not a deep thinker. You just hear a thought and run around and tell everybody about it. That's what they do. Paul, does, Paul is not flinched by that. He doesn't move by that. Watch the text. It continues. Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Next verse. And they took him and brought him to Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming. Let me give you the context of this. So when, you, when you're arrogant and when you're smart and when you love intellectual ideas, you love new thought. You just like to hear new things. Yeah, let's hear your, let's hear your philosophical argument about that. Let's see. Let's consider if you know what you're talking about. So they do. And Paul masterfully gets inside to tell them about Jesus. He doesn't let them offend him by calling them a babbler. He said, that's okay. You call me what you want. Can I get inside so I can present the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? He masterfully does it, which is how you live in a wicked world, so that they don't influence you, but you influence them. Come on, let's go. Next verse, next verse, next verse. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears, so we want to know what these things mean. Paul said, I would sure love to tell you. Next verse, next verse, next verse, next verse. Now, all the Athenians and strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing. Do you see what I'm saying? They just love new thought. Next verse. Here we go. Almost done. Almost done. So Paul stood up in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. Next verse. Watch it. Watch what he does. He does this masterfully. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship. Stop right there. He knows the scriptures and studies them. And he knows the culture and studies it too. He doesn't just know the scripture and walk around starting preaching scripture everywhere he goes and stand on the side of the street and say, repent or you will go to hell. He don't do just that. He says, I need to know what y'all's gods are. Watch what he does, masterfully. I also found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. 
Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. What does he do? You almost get ready to sit down. You almost get it. Here's what he says. He says, I walked around and I studied. And I know that y'all have about 20 to 30,000 people in this area, but you have 40,000 gods all around here. And I'm walking around and I'm studying your gods. And then I saw a god, because I know your history, that 500 years before this, you had a plague that you couldn't shake, so you created an unknown god. And when you prayed to that unknown god, the plague got healed. So now you, the plague went away. So now I'm going to tell you about the God that you are praying to that you did not know. Do you see the brilliance of his argument? He says, I'm going to take what you think you're worshiping and I'm going to tell you about him so you can worship the true and living God. Now tell me that dude ain't brilliant. He said, I'm going to study y'all, figure y'all out, and then use one of y'all God that you don't know and tell you about him. His name is Jesus. And that's who y'all worshiping. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. Come on, somebody. My God, my God, my God. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, there are four earthquakes that are rattling America and literally the world. And because it is, there is coming a tsunami. My assignment today is to articulate what these four earthquakes are. So you are fully aware of it, so you can have discussions with your kids about it, so that you can teach the next generation and yourself about it, so you know what's going on in your culture before it hits your kids and your grandkids through their digital cell phones. Pick up your notes if you don't have it, and let's go there, and let's talk about it. He gives us four of them, and he says, everybody, you need to be real clear, and you need to know these very, very well. He suggests the first one. He says the first quadrant of culture, the first, the first one is the post-truth culture. Ladies and gentlemen, in our culture today, the first earthquake is the post-truth culture. Back in the day, we knew what truth was. It was the objective standard of truth called the Word of God. And so we went to the Word. Whenever we want to know what the truth was, we went to the Word to see what God had to say about it. And then we would then go and live it out. Unfortunately, today, we have decided that that is no longer relevant to us so we can define our own truth. The reason that's a problem is because when you make yourself your God, your own God, then you can tell yourself what you want and what you don't want to do. So now everybody walks around and says, I'm going to believe my truth. I don't care about what your truth is. So now all we have is a group of people that walks around and says, well, I don't feel that anymore. I feel this. So this now becomes my truth. So I can change my truth from day to day because it's not objective. It's whatever I feel like I want to do. Now, this is important because it has far-reaching ramifications for all of us. So now we're walking around and we're saying it's not just one truth. I got my own truth. Now you find out. That here's what they say about us now. When, 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 when Christians, since you have one truth, now you are intolerant. Why are you intolerant? Because you don't want me to believe and live out what I want to do. You want me to live based on the word of God. Now you say that I can't talk to you because I want to force my truth on you. That is the word of God. So now your kids, when they get to go to school and they believe in the word of God, now they get to go to school and say, well, I just believe that that's wrong. You can't do that. Now the kids at school is going to tell them, well, why do you think that's wrong? Who says that's wrong? This is what I believe, and I'm free to do whatever I want to do. And if your kid continues on that line of argument, now all of a sudden your kid becomes the one that's shunned in school. 
Now you have all kinds of issues to deal with at home. So now to fit in and to bow to peer pressure, your kids are going to say, well, if it's your truth, it's your truth, you can do what you want. And if enough, if enough people do it, then all of a sudden your kids are going to want to do what everybody else does so that they cannot be singled out. And all of a sudden, now you have your kids believing stuff you never believed. Because of peer pressure and because they're starting it on television at age four all the way through. So if you watch TV, if you have a phone, and if your kids go to school, you're going to be affected by that. So now when you come up and you say, that's why you cannot just say, thus says the Lord our God. Because that's bowing into this intolerant language. Now you have to give reason behind what God said. But when you don't do that, all of a sudden, you just tell your kids, do what I do, and do what I say, and this is all you need to do. Well, that kind of irrelevant and intolerant behavior will drive your kids further and further away from you. By the way, it also affects you at your job. Because more and more at most of these corporate companies, here's all they're telling you. You better keep your stuff to yourself. Listen, everybody else can tell you their stuff, but you can't tell them yours. I don't care what company you go into today, that's the norm, which is why they call us intolerant because we believe that there is an objective standard of truth called the Word of God. Let me help you out, by the way. Let me tell you how you tell them this because most of you do it wrong. <clears throat> it's not that you believe in the Bible. It's that you believe in Jesus. Let me tell you why that's important. Because they cannot defend against Jesus. They can't. They have, they, if you tell them, hey man, here's what I believe. I believe that there's a dude who told us that he was going to die, and the dude told us he was going to raise again in three days, and then he was going to kick it with the Father up in heaven. And guess what he did? He did exactly what he said. So if you can show me another dude that did that, I'll follow him too. But since there ain't no dude, and since there's no book you can tell me that can refute what Jesus Christ did when he came, died, and rose up from that grave, and since he quotes this Bible, and since he believes in this Bible, it's the reason why I believe in this Bible, and it's the reason why I call it my standard of truth, and since he makes my life better and makes me better at life, I'm going to follow him. You don't have to. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. I'm, I'm pleading with you to get this. I really am because it is going to ravage churches and organizations when this comes to full fruition. That's only one, though. Post-truth culture. Number two, second one. Second earthquake, oh my goodness, is the rise of sexual revolution. Ah, in the 60s, ladies and gentlemen, you couldn't talk about divorce. Today, you can talk about divorce more than you talk about marriage. In the 70s, ladies and gentlemen, 80s, you couldn't talk about abortion. Today, what do you want to do? It's your body. It's your truth. Do whatever you want to do. If it's inconvenience, just do whatever you want to do. In 2015, LGBTQ+, all came up together, and they said, listen, we finna normalize this deal so that you look like an idiot if you don't agree with what we say. So now it's all normal. What's been happening? So since it's your body, you're your own God, do whatever you want to do because it's yours. You don't account to any God. Do what, You're your own God. Do whatever you want to do. 
So now what do they call us if you believe in some form of healthy sexual orientation? What do they believe? You're irrelevant. Now you're, well, you're so antiquated. Why don't you go back to the 40s? Oh my God, where you come from? I'm talking about you're a child of God. You, you're just irrelevant. What you mean you telling me, listen, listen, what you mean you telling me that my daughter can't sleep with her boyfriend? How irrelevant are you? Nobody does that anymore. What are you talking about? Nobody does it. Therefore, join the crowd. Why are y'all so quiet on this one? Y'all be like, let's not say nothing right here. Let's just stay quiet. Because if we say anything, it might reveal something. So let me stay quiet. But I need you to realize, they're calling us intolerant, and now they're calling us irrelevant. What, 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 what you mean when they're going out on a day, you don't, you don't remind them about the Word of God says, you equip them with condoms. What you mean it's okay to do whatever I want to do with no remorse whatsoever? That's because this is normal. And now they're calling us irrelevant. You cannot survive in this world because if you look, sex still sells. Number three, I'm just here to highlight what the earthquakes are. Oh my gosh, everybody, scoot up, listen to me, and put your, put your seatbelts on on this one. <clears throat> I'm going to explain it to you. Somebody going to get offended initially because you're going to miss what I'm saying. <clears throat> the rise of critical theory. Result, they call us oppressive. Watch how masterfully this one works. So the critical theory really argues that, um, it says, it says, it says, it says, if you're successful, you got that success on the backs of somebody else. Just follow the, the, the I didn't say critical race theory. That's not what I said. I said critical theory. Here's what it argues. It's a theory. Here's what it argues. It says, if you're successful, it's because you stepped on somebody else to be as successful as you are. So really, you're an oppressor of the people that you stepped on. Watch. That's not the problem. That's bad, but that ain't the problem yet. I'm going to show you how slick they are. So then they say, since that's true, and you say, well, I didn't do nothing. It's not me. It's the people before me. Okay, cool. Then they say, but, but, but if, there's a, if there's a railway track and you ride on the train and somebody built that railway, then you're benefiting from the, as an oppressor from the person that built that railway track. And that's the argument so far. But that's not the danger for Christians yet. Here's the danger for Christians. So then they carry one level further. And they say, since America was founded on Christian principles. Anybody see where I'm going here? And since you are the majority then you oppressed everybody else that had any other thought. Therefore, Christians, you're oppressive. Which is why when the, when the, when the, when the, when the Hebrew Israelites show up, in a movement of black empowerment, that's why they don't come and say, see, see, the white men, that's all they do. They want to oppress us, and you making them oppress you. But it's all right. We need to start oppressing them. And because you're biblically illiterate, and they tell you about coming over as slaves, then all of a sudden you're going to believe them. I know too many people, I know at least 10 from this church that are now Hebrew Israelites because they were biblically ill-informed. 
No, listen, fam. Listen why this is so important. This is so huge. So what's going on in the background is now they're calling all Christians oppressive. Because you want everybody to think like you. So how oppressive are you that you would want to do that? See, that's the problem with y'all Christians. You just, you just want everybody to be like you. Number four. Fourth one is the rise of secular religion. Now they say it's dangerous. Let me show you what I mean. This is the simplest example. That's when they say, um, um, you know what flew into, into, into the Twin Towers? Religion did. That's why you're dangerous. Because you're wicked people. You want everybody, and anybody that don't think like you, and anybody that don't do what you want to do, then you just kill them all. So now, here's what they're saying of Christ. I am not asking you. This is the new norm. It is coming, and it will be there. And if you can't defend your faith, and if you're not suave in how you interact with people and love people and share with people and fight and pray for people, then I'm telling you, this is going to be the new norm for us. They're going to call us. Say these words with me. They're going to call us. They're going to call us. They're going to call us. And they're going to call us. This is the new norm because the more, remember America, they argue was formed from a Christian worldview. But the more we get to post-Christian, the less the majority Christians are. And the more they have to tear Christianity down, followers of Christ down. So all of a sudden, the way they're going to do it is say you are small-minded, you, you can't think clearly, you are absolutely dangerous, and you're really wicked people because you want everybody to think like you. Does this make sense so far, everybody? Everybody see where I'm trying to go with this? These are the earthquakes. By the way, hold on. That was four people that said that. Can, can I get a wig? Do you see what's, what's lurking and what's shaking the earth that's going to actually show up in culture? And if you think it's not there already, then go to any, any middle school or high school. And it's there. Anyone, you name it, actually, go to any corporate office. It's there. Okay. So, what does Paul do and how does he deal with it? Notice, Paul goes into the city that has so many gods, and the text says that it burdens him. It burdens him. Hey, go to um, Acts chapter 17 now and go to verse 16. Acts 17, verse 16. We're coming back to this in a minute. But go to Acts 16. Here's what he says. And for... Uh, now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked with him as he was observing the city full of idols. Whoa, 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 whoa. His spirit was being, his spirit was being within him as he was observing the city full of Here's Here's our problem. We go into cities... Or we go into areas, see idols, and we join the world in playing with the idols. Okay, you don't believe me. I'm going to help you out. I'm help. Let's go up in Chalk Talk. Casino. Ooh. Instead of seeing the idol, you get excited about how much money you can make. You see, you don't know the gods of your culture. You go into Jerry's world because your boys are back in town. 
Oh, don't mess with them cowboys. Don't do anything, preacher, but don't mess with them cowboys, preacher. Leave them cowboys alone. If you know what's good for you, leave them cowboys alone, preacher. You go in Jerry's world, and instead of seeing 100,000 people that need Jesus, and it breaks your heart, and you start saying, let me pray for all these people. Jesus, can you do a revival and save all, every last one of these 100,000 people? You crying over the cowboys losing, but you ain't crying over them going to hell. That's because, that's because you walk in, see the idols that we're worshiping, and you join the world. It don't break your heart. No. It don't break your heart. You just join them like, ooh, my boy, ooh. Ain't win another, ain't win a, ain't win a Super Bowl. <laughs> Talking about, this the Bible belt, this the Bible belt. <laughs> I'm not against your little cowboys. I am for your cowboys. I'm not against them. I'm just saying that this country and this part of town has four big idols. And you better know what they are. Here's what Paul did. He studied the scriptures and he studied their city. He knew their idols and he knew the scriptures. We have four idols. That we were. Don't be blaming them for having 40,000 and they're erected everywhere. We erect those everywhere too. It's called the Allen Stadium. It's called the McKinney's. Oh, you don't like that, do you? You don't like that, do you? You don't like. We got them too. We got them too. We got them too. It's COVID. I can't come, Pastor. I can't come. Oh, but you all up in. You and Mr. Allen football game or a McKinney or a Frisco football game. But it's too close in church. It's too close. It's too close. It's too. <laughs> this is too much fun right now. Anyways, come on, let's go. Uh, four idols, four idols, four idols, four idols, four idols. Idol number one, your kids. You love them more than you love God. Idol number two, listen, fam, listen, fam. Idol number two, <laughs> yourself. Idol, idol number three, your money. Idol number four, your entertainment. If you want a fifth one, put sex. That's the top five idols in this. In, in this. It's, really, it's really in all of America, but I'm just going to leave it to this region. Top five. Top five idols. And we walk around. Paul says his heart was broken when he sees that. Our heart is glad when we worship ours. Our heart is glad. Glad! Not broken, but glad. Watch what Paul does. He gets real cool. Watch what Paul does. Next verse. Come on. Let's go. Um, so he says, so he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. That's what he's doing. He now comes and says, I got to do something about this. I can't just sit back and watch. I got to do this. But I can't, I can't just come with a Bible-thumping strategy. I've got to be winsome with it. I've got to find commonality with the people. And then I've got to show them why their gods can't satisfy them. I've got to show them that really they're looking for the one true God. And my job is to show them, which is why at the end of the passage, they're going to respond and some of them are going to get saved. Because he boldly went where nobody else would. And I'm saying, where are the Christians that are going to go boldly go where nobody else would? 
We're the Christians that are going to go in their organizations and not be a Bible thumper, but understand where the pain points are and be present when the pain shows up so you can love people the way Jesus loved them. That's what he's called us to do. He's not calling us to walk around and say, repent or else you're going to hell. Come on, man. That's not what Paul did. Paul find, found commonality and then made the transition. And that commonality might take a long time to realize. The pain might be a, take a long time before they discover it. But your job is to be a consistent presence. Like Daniel was. A consistent presence. So that the king, so that the CEO would ultimately get saved. Because they saw his great God at work. Let's flip it over. Let's go to the bottom of your notes now and let's see. So there are five responses. What do we do as a church as we move forward? Here it is. What do you do as a church? <clears throat> there are five responses that we have. Here they are. Response number one is to put all of them up. Christ of culture. Response number two is, the Christ, is Christ against culture. This is what the church is, the different options of the church. It's Christ above culture. Christ and culture. And then Christ transforming culture. Can I show you the options? That every church takes a position here. Let me tell you which one we do. You will see all of these in churches all across the world. Number one is the Christ of culture. This is where you have the Hollywood church that wants to look Hollywood, act Hollywood, and not be the light that Hollywood needs. So now all we want is fame. We want to become popular and famous, and so we do everything. That's why you can go to a, to a, to a, to a secular award show, and they can sing at that secular award show. Back it up, back it, back it, back it, back it, back it. And then the next Sunday, they can go, the same people who sing back it up can go lead worship. Now talking, here's my worship. Ah, all of my worship. Which one is it? Which one is it? Because your assignment is not to live in, is not to have one foot in one and the other in the other. That is not your assignment. That is not what God's called you to do. He says, he's not saying you can't go to that, to that award show, but you can be leading the charge. Talking about, hey, 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 hey. Number two. Christ against culture. Well, these are the other extremists. These are the other extremists who all they want to do is say, y'all are wicked people over there, and I don't want to have nothing to do with y'all wicked people, so you stay over there, I'm staying over here, and I'm against everything you do. I'm going to tear down what you do. And now you become aggressive in every single area, and now you're known as the, as the almost like the bomb shelter. Hey, man, let's keep away from these guys because they're so... No, he didn't call you to stay away from them. If that's what he wanted you to do, he'd have taken you up to heaven. He didn't. He left you here. Because he wants you to be the light, not the bomb shelter where you go and you protect yourself until Jesus comes back. Number three, church above, this is the holy than thou people. They just think they're so holy, they don't want to have nothing to do with culture. So first it was, back it up, back it up. Now they'll be looking at back it up and talking about, see, y'all are going to burn. Y'all are going to burn. 
you must cover yourself fully. Everywhere you go, you must look like Mother Teresa in the name of Jesus. And you must cover it all up. If I can ever get out oh, here, here we go. You must cover it all up. Everything covered for the glory of God. Cover it up and you must walk. Oops. <laughs> I wore it just for that. <laughs> I, I never wear no tear up jeans until today. But, but, but they would say this is ungodly. They would say, how dare you in the house of the Lord wear a pants that has a little bit of hole so you can see your leg. Well, you can't see mine, but praise the Lord. Um, but be careful you don't sound like that to your kids. Be careful you don't sound like that to your kids because it's real easy to sound like that. All right? Number, number four, it's Christ and culture. Now, this one is huge. Here's what churches want to do. They don't want to make a difference in the community, but they want to get all the tax breaks. So you don't want to pay taxes, property taxes. And you don't want to pay taxes on interest that you gain. And you, don't want, you want to get all the benefits the government give you, but you don't want to help in the dark areas of the community. No wonder they're coming after us and saying you ought to pay your fair share. Because for too long you stood up and above with your holier than thou self, looking down at people <clears throat> and not even providing the needs for the ones that need it the most. This is huge. This is really huge. That is why. You know what the job of the church is? To go to the mayor and to go to the governor and to go to everybody else and say, tell me the five most difficult areas in your community. And the church must say, we're showing up there to make a difference. That's our job. To show up in dark places and carry the torch of Jesus Christ right in there. So they should talk about you at the city council and say, that's your everywhere at turn. That's where they are. That's what they should say. That's why, by the way, we go to hospitals on Christmas and give every sick child a gift. Why? Because that's what the church is supposed to do. By the way, most of these hospitals, church started them. Where is that church that started hospitals to help needy people? Where's that church now? And you don't have to do it overseas all the time. There are people in this area that desperately needs it now. Where are we at showing up? One of the reasons why we invest so heavily in churches is because they provide the light. So when I'm supporting a church in California, it's because I know what happens in California and they need more lighthouses there to make a difference for the glory of God, which is what the last one is. It is Christ transforming culture. This is who is called the three. Matthew chapter 5. A city on a hill that provides. It's a city within a city, but its job, the church that is, in the city is to provide for those who don't have in the broader city. It is to, it is to, it is to give voice to the powerless. It is to represent those who don't have. It is to give them when they have need. That's the job of the local church. And so if we're not doing that, no wonder they look at us as the problem. Because we're not providing benefit to the constituents of our community. So brothers and sisters, all I'm asking us to do is, how do you make a difference in a world, a wicked world, when they want to change you? But it's your job to change it. That's what Paul masterfully did. Here, now turn the page over and then let me, let, me, let, me, let me land the plane and we get out of here for today. Last one in the series. We start a relationship series uh, in a couple weeks. Um, so here we go. Um, we must use our influence for God's kingdom. 
So there are four, four things I want you to do. We're not going to those eight Beatitudes. We don't have time for that. Let's go to the four. There are four things I want to do. One, identify your missional call. I'm going to give you words on top of these after you fill these up. Identify your missional call, number two. Then you go to serve with discernment, number three. You go to consider public service, then number four. You go to uh, use your platform to promote Christ-centered values, which are going to be your values. Let me give you in a shorter version. Number one, I want you to put the word go. Number two, I want you to put the word see. Number three, I want you to put the word contradict. And number four, I want you to put the word, no, sorry, 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 sorry. Number one is go, number two is see, number three is feel, and number four is do. Number one is go, number two is see, number three is feel, number four is do. One more time. Number one is go, number two is see, number three is feel, and number four is go. The other word is, I want you, here's the last word for each category. I want you to immerse yourself, that is know the culture and the scriptures. Here's what Paul did beautifully in Acts chapter 17. He knew the culture, he knew the scriptures, and because he knew them both, he could go in any area in the marketplace, in politics, in education. He could go anywhere because he was well-versed in both. Number two, that is immersed. Number two, I want you to agree. What did Paul do? He found areas of agreement and then talked about them, with them. He started with, where can we, where can we see eye to eye? They could see eye to eye because they had, a, they had a, a god, an idol, that had no name. He used that to introduce his god. Number three, contradict. Your job now is, I know how the rest of the world is going to live, but you've got to live differently. You've got to be the light or the salt in a different world. And then number four, then you got to not forget Christ. There are too many Christians that get put in high places and they forget all about Jesus Christ. This is so, this is so, it happens, you get into politics, you get into a CEO position, you get into the C-suite, and then all of a sudden you think you can never bring up what you believe about Jesus Christ. The reason, let me remind you of what he said to Esther. Maybe. The reason you're where you are is because God knew that you needed to represent him. So it's not because of your beauty, it's not because of your education, it's not because of your little acumen, it's not because of how, 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 how professional you are and how, how empathetic you are. It's because God decided to raise you up like a turtle and put you on a fence post so you can represent the light of Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you still stay silent, just like he put you there, he can take you down. So be careful that you're not thinking you're all that and you don't need to represent Christ because you did this by yourself. Always remember you're a turtle on a fence post. Same God who put you up, say it with me, is the same God who can take you down. Let me say what Mordecai said. Could it be that he has elevated you for such a time as this? They're trying, they, they, they're trying to kill all your people. Could it be that you got that close to the king so that in this season you can represent his people? Can I ask one community church the same thing? Could it be that you got your promotion so that Christ wants you to lift his name high so that men, women, boys, and girls will come to him so that his name is the one that's exalted, not your name and your degree. So that he gets the glory and not you get the fame. Could it be that he has elevated you 
beyond where you ever dreamt you would have been. Not for you, but for his name. I'm done. Let's come. Put your hands together for God here, brother. <laughs> Heavenly Father, um, thank you for this whole series, God. Thank you for um, enlightening us as a church. Thank you for equipping us with language we need to use with our friends, with our peers, with our co-workers, with our kids, with our teenagers. Thank you, God, for this opportunity. Will you help us, God, to be immersed in the Word and immersed in our culture so we can know how to use the language of the culture to find commonality so that then we can transition it to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wake us up. God, not on our watch will we watch another million students walk away from their faith because we ill-prepared them to deal with the thoughts, the philosophies, and the arguments of the culture. Raise up a generation of moms and dads that will disciple their kids, not just in Jesus loves me, this I know, but in the philosophies of this world so that they can argue back and forth about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there is a man, his name is Jesus, who predicted his death and resurrection, then actually died and got up out of that grave. May that be the story that these kids know. And may they live that out. And may they shine bright for the glory of God in a dark and broken world. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Come on, give God a round of applause one more time. All right, I don't want you to move yet if you don't mind. Uh, I call this the most important part of the service. So if you're here today and you have a question. Uh, then I want, as everybody else is making their way out, I want you to come on down and we'd love to pray with you about that and answer any question you have. If you want to join our church, then as everybody's making their way out, I'd, I'd consider it an honor for you to come down. If you're a couple and you want to come for prayer, that's fine. If you're a single adult, single teenager, and you want somebody to pray for you, just come on down. If you want to join our church, if you want to get baptized, we would consider it an honor and we'll stay here as long as we can to make sure we facilitate that process. If you're just coming back to church for the first time in a long time, I want to meet you personally. So you, you, you just come on down, and I'd love to give you a handshake or a fist bump, whichever you feel more comfortable with, and just um, see how you're doing, so if you don't mind. And then if you're here for the first time, you ain't never, ever, ever, ever been here, or you're coming back for the first time, I'd love to meet you. So we have, a, we, have a, we have enough time in between services. I can do that today, praise God. And so as everybody else is going out, you just come on down, and we'll hang out for a little while. And then lastly, if you want to honor God in your giving, on the way out, there are boxes embedded in the walls that you can put your tithes and offering there. Thanks for being a generous church. Now, here's what I want you to do this week. Go immerse yourself, those of you online, in the scriptures. And immerse yourself in understanding the culture and its gods. And then, having known those two, go tell somebody about Jesus. Your world and your environment needs you to represent Christ. Not in a bold, aggressive way, but in a loving, caring, empathetic way. Will you go shine the light of Jesus in a broken and lost world?